Welcome to Creative Wally, episode 38. My name is DK, the guy behind this video podcast. You're listening to the audio podcast. You're very welcome here. Check us out, creativewally.com. You can subscribe that way. Lots of RSS feeds and lots of ways to, to subscribe to the audio plus video, like I said. Big thanks right from the top for my partner in this, which is John O'Tucker over at Empire Films. He's the video producer. And also big thanks also to David over at Flash Dog Studios for allowing us to utilize this space. In this episode, we get to explore two amazing humans, Antonia Milkop, director of a coaching and facilitation company, and also Dion Howard a director of a photo booth business and also a registered mental health nurse. I'm sure you really enjoy this conversation with these bold humans, so let's get into it. What is your motto? Stay gold. <laughs> <laughs> it's not stay gold, but it's, that's a useful one. Um, What's your motto? Do you have one? Do you have one? Have you stolen one? Because that's always a good word. I keep right? thinking of all those like Latin mottos that like? carpe diem oh, seize nice. the day yeah but i don't have a motto myself okay my father's was always shameful to be last which was another wow. latin, latin one shameful to be last. which wasn't a very good motto. that's a bit intense <laughs> actually isn't it? and I was can't... it in latin he would say yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what is it in latin i don't know i can't oh, remember okay. yeah okay what would mine um i well I'm not sure if I'm proud of this anymore, but okay. maybe I need to move on from this, but I like it. Uh, and it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Nice. That's a good one. Mm. That's a great one. Mm. Especially in a creative realm. Yeah, not everyone right. thinks that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. But it's a good one. I think that's yeah. probably been my, mm. uh, yeah, maybe my emo. Yeah. I had a great manager once who started the year giving a speech to all her branch. She was a general manager for a whole group. And she said that. Well, she said, so I want to see this year heaps of people asking for forgiveness because I want you to make mistakes. Yeah. Mm. And stop asking permission to yeah. do things. And everyone was like, yeah. Yeah. And they were going. Good. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah I'm what trying to think. I? I don't really have a motto. <clears throat> but you get into something? Yeah. yeah. You're starting to. I think mine would be try and be the best version of yourself. Mm. Although that sounds a bit cliche. But it's all about, yeah, just whatever happens, try and be the good in the mm. world. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's lovely. What would yours be? I don't know. Like, I pick a, I got to pick a mix of sayings and things I lean into. Like, I actually spoke to my parents last night and uh, I reminded them of a great Zen proverb because my dad was getting irate about something. So I said, remember dad, you know, there's a great Zen proverb out there, which is let go or be dragged. <laughs> right, because he was like holding on to this thing, right? And I was going, you gotta let go of it, man. Gotta... So I let go or be dragged is an often used one yeah. by me. Yeah, that's... It's hard to do, easier yeah. said yes. and done, but that's, that's the cliche. A, that's a sign yeah. in therapy about dropping the rope when you're in a Dropping the rope. When you're in a battle with someone, you can always just drop the rope. Mm. And, you know. What does the rope signify there? Well, when you get, you know, you get stuck in situations. Like a tug when, of war. Yeah, tug of war. Right. You know, there is an option to stop pulling. Mm. Yeah. Um, drop the rope. Yeah, I like, I like the, I like the sort of Zen Buddhist idea of uh, make your words soft and sweet because you might have to eat them. <laughs> That's nice yeah. as well. Yeah. That's a good one. I haven't used yeah. that one. Mm. Mm. 
So yeah, let's talk about what you guys do then in terms of you just touched on therapy. How sure. would you sum, summarize what you are now and what you have been? Um, I, right now in my life, I work as a, like, I'm quite part-time mm-hmm. working privately um, as a uh, therapist with a private psychiatrist. Uh, and um, I've just finished like a 25-year association with the health service previously known as the District Health Board. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, so 25 years in mental health, never uh, or seldom full-time. So right. mostly part-time because mm-hmm. I do other things, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, have projects and uh, different bits and pieces. So some people might, you know, I mean, that's how we met. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, in fact, I took a phone call from you, DK, um, while I was at work <laughs> to book a photo booth. Um, 2000 and probably 14, 13, I reckon it was, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Mm. So um, uh, it's it's interesting. Depending on what angle you come at me from, you'll know me as the photo booth guy because I met we. You as a photo booth guy. Yeah, and so that's why I bought my hat because. <laughs> yep. It's like. Yeah. Got that. There you, know, you are. Yeah, there. That's, that's me. That's a whole other part of you. <laughs> that's I didn't right. Know you existed before. Yeah, <laughs> and and they're very different parts, right? Yeah. You know, one's yeah. very public, and you go to parties, and you're involved with people in the best time of their lives, and uh, the other is like you're actually kind of involved with people at some of the hardest times of their lives. Um, it's probably not a natural fit, but it's natural fit for me. Mm. Uh, so I still have the photo booth business uh, and still running that. Uh, it probably started off as a, what do you call it? Side hustle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when did it, you start it? Uh, probably 2009 or 2010, okay. I think. Yeah, it's been just over 10 years. <coughs> And I got very interested in how to, you know, I was doing a, <clears throat> a paper in public health and health economics. And I was sort of one of those weekend warrior photographers, you know, where a mate had asked me to <laughs> photograph their wedding, yeah. quite like this. And then there's that transition to digital. Mm. So then I realized actually this is not that fun because you're actually in front of a computer a lot of the time. Right. Uh, and so that's when I was going to health economics paper, I was, like, I was just thinking yeah. about this other idea, how can I make a photography business happen and, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so um, there's that transition from film to digital, all sorts of things. Mm. There's a really, and I'm sure there still is, but at that time there's a very vibrant Wellington space at uh, top of Cuba Street, Toy Pōneke. Mm-hmm. Um, had an office there where I shared with a friend and started my business then. but. Mental health work has been my, oh, and then we had kids, and then it was like, actually better have some reliable income coming in mm-hmm. as well. So, um, yeah, worked in child and adolescent mental health for that whole time as well. And your focus now is ADHD with adults? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, yeah. yeah. I, I, it's somewhat my focus with the private clinic that I'm at. Like yes. I am doing, um, you know, four or five long interviews with people a week, um, getting a kind of personal history, work, social, family history, uh, when I've got the question of, "Mm, do I have ADHD? Mm. I do other therapy as well. My specialty has been, lots of acronyms. I know in lots of sectors have different acronyms. Yeah, Googled all of them. 
Oh, did you? <laughs> I need a CBT one. But, CBT, yeah. yeah, and then DBT, um, KFC, <laughs> um, and uh, yes. So what are the? Yes, yeah, cognitive behavioural therapy, and gotcha. then there's dialectical behavioural therapy. Interesting, talking about the Buddhist mm. kind of statement. Um, dialectical behavioural therapy has been very influenced by Buddhist thinking, mm. and it's a therapy for people who are chronically. Uh, stuck in a place of self-harm or suicidal ideation and emotion regulation. So mm. been running a group for 10 years with young people, different, not, not, not the same young people. Obviously that wouldn't be very successful. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for 10 years running a, a treatment program in DBT. Wow. Yeah. And have you heard of ACT as well? Yeah, ACT, uh, ACT Party, David Seymour. No. no. ACT the band? <laughs> No. Acceptance and commitment therapy. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so like radical acceptance. And yeah. And a lot of these therapies have really similar mm. streams, yeah. you know, a um, lot, lot, lot in common. Mm. Um, because I'm a registered nurse, uh, you know, it's a, really, it's a really great ticket to sort of get to practice these things, but you're kind of often coming in on, you're sort of slipstreaming on the hard work of, you know, the psychology faculty have developed a lot of these things. Uh, and, um, but you know, probably hold, I think fundamental is the therapeutic relationship that you have with someone. Mm. I mean, the, the therapy that you use has to have an evidence base that it has, it is effective and it brings change for people. Of course, yeah. Um, yeah, but so ACT is not one that I've um, okay. used or trained in. Okay. Yeah. And how come you ended up going to the, the kind of clinical side of the world, shall we say, being a registered nurse and into the mental health? How come you ended up there? Was there a big career specific? Um, so, um, so, I, so as a sort of segue, Antonio, you know, I looked at your you know, Facebook and was like, how, how can we know these people? Um, it's quite interesting. Mm, got a lot of you know, and um, okay. so my um, maybe there's a big full circle, but uh, finished school, went into nursing, uh -huh. uh, but I was very involved in kind of Christian youth groups and mm -hmm. faith-based activities, and uh, and got sort of drawn away into kind of running youth group activities, like always in Wellington, you know first in the northern suburbs and then in Berenpore and um, got involved in a very enthusiastic group uh, where we had flats uh, for people with you know quite diverse needs and we would foster or not quite foster because we're a group of young guys flatting um, there's a network of these flats so always running youth groups and <clears throat> I don't know DK, do you have a, I feel like you have a youth development background. I got a youth work background. Yeah. yeah. My I first think, career. What's that? My first, first career. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I joke with some, some wild friends, it's a kind of a career that spoils you for other things. <laughs> yeah, and the sector's not as developed as the UK as well. So mm. we weren't getting paid. So I'm working yeah. nights just at the hospital or doing two or three shifts a week to supplement my, you know, running this youth group or this camp and, gotcha. you know, these, um, you know, living in these houses with young people who were at risk or whatever and um, so I did that till I was about 28 uh, and had some sort of life changes and you know some upsets that made me think I might just get a full-time job for a while <laughs> and um, my first full-time job 
was just happened to be a service that seemed to integrate those principles and values of youth work, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and mental health. Mm-hmm. So it was called a first episode psychosis service, so young people with psychotic yeah. disorders. That's a sharp end. It's a sharp end, but it had a it had a big sort of outreach emphasis. So, right. you know, lots of uh, lots of young guys. You know, if you can imagine, if you're paranoid, you don't really want to talk to people. Mm. <laughs> um, so, those youth work skills of being assertive, uh, taking initiative, um, not asking for permission. Mm-hmm. I know we talk a lot about consent these days, but you know, you had to sort of be creative and engaging with people you know because their families are distressed about their distress and they need some you know and so that was my first real job i would say and uh and i remained in that for about five years and then went abroad for a year and came back and um picked up some other little contracts and fun bits and pieces but then came into child and adolescent mental health which Mm. was kind of different cohort Less, more people who are help seeking rather than help avoiding gotcha. you know, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, yeah. PTSD, those mm. sorts of things. How have you found working in the mental health sector for the last however many years? And what's changed, say, in the last decade? And why, why, what made you finish up the work that you were doing <laughs> and start your own practice? Um, I just, uh, well, it's an interesting question. Um, I think, uh, I think there are a lot of kind of, I mean, obviously post COVID, there's a lot of pressure on mental health services yeah. mm-hmm. um, and a sort of more um, technological kind of age with access to devices and media and lots of other influences that's having some influence on people's mental wellbeing as well. Um, but we kind of, I think essentially we had um, <clears throat> uh, our service kind of collapsed really. Um, we were, um, I mean it's still going, but really on a sort of skeleton staff and it will mm. probably rebuild. Mm. But, um, you know, we were a group of staff members who were speaking up for safety. There was increasing pressure on services but that we didn't feel like we were getting um, support from above. Yeah. about that i feel I, I feel awkward talking about this i wasn't expecting to talk about this yeah. on the camera yeah. but it's true it's a, yeah. it's a reality yeah. i think that l- there was an absence of leadership in in our sector mm. and you know the the really interesting thing about working in the fo- working with um the photo booth is i go to a lot of work functions yeah and i see a lot of work cultures mm. and a lot of variety in fact <clears throat> one of the most um surprising situations I was ever in was a health and safety awards at Te Papa um, for Philip Morris tobacco. <laughs> um, so that was really <laughs> full of irony. Health and safety awards yes. for tobacco company. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just I mean, they had a factory out in Petonia, yeah. right? And, mm. um, but you listen to the speeches, you, listen, you, you, you watch leadership, you watch how people lead. And, and it, I, I couldn't help but actually be impressed when they told the story of mm. the changes that they made in health and safety. One of them was right. like um, changing that little kind of uh, uh, thing up on the wall that says, you know, 17 days accident free, you yeah. know, which yeah. incentivizes not 
declaring an accident or a near miss or something like that. You know, they, they analyse that both the impact of those sorts of practices and change them. Um, they had a sort of no reason is too small to stop production rule, right. you know. Uh, okay. um, and uh, what we have, I feel like what we have in the health sector is any, any dollar that can be, um, any dollar that is not spent on direct patient contact is considered kind of probably a wasted dollar. Mm. So if you've got, I don't know, uh, managers trying to kind of extract the most from their staff, um, things like team building um, or management training courses, mm. um, staff development, these sorts of things are seen as sort of extraneous. Yeah. Uh, and um, safety concerns, uh, you know, I think essentially we, um, the phrase I heard someone say the other day was um, eating our own dog food. <laughs> so in therapy, you know, the, the one of the primary, I guess, drivers of therapy is maintaining a, a, a relationship of positive high regard. Mm. Yeah, there will be problems in the relationship, there will be upsets and breakdowns, but if you can repair and move on and assist that person to, you know, mm. problem solve, but uh, that didn't seem apparent on an institutional level. And I don't, so I'm right. not tiring the whole organisation like that. It might have been a pocket of that, but, mm. you know, so we had probably two thirds of our team leave within the space of six months. That's um, massive. It's really massive. And the questions wow. about when we asked about, you know, retention, uh -huh. we kept on being told, oh, but we're recruiting, we're yes. recruiting. But, yeah. And, and then just like, no, um, uh, yeah, I guess that's that positive high regard when managers will come down from their, I feel like I'm bagging managers here, but when, you know, coming down from their, mm -hmm. well, you talked about, I don't even know, were we on camera when you told the story about um, the, you told a story before about uh, the boss who said, better to ask for forgiveness than permission, oh, yes. and I want yes. you to make mistakes, yeah? Yeah. You know, we just didn't have that sort yeah. of relationship. Yeah. Just mm. like... It's a relationship where you hear if you've done something wrong. Yeah. You know, and in healthcare, things will go wrong. That's an inevitability. Like, there will be poor, some, you know, awful outcomes. Yeah. I'm not justifying that. We are doing the best that we can, yeah. uh, but we're trying to minimise and decrease those outcomes. Yeah. So if you don't feel like the people leading you are with you, yeah. 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 You become very, you feel very vulnerable and unsafe. That whole trust is yeah. undermined. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because comparing it to a completely different sphere of people, but I guess since the last three years, I've noticed teens that have prioritised investment in themselves and their people mm. compared to those that haven't. Yep. In far more um, in work areas where they're not literally saving lives, you know. So yeah. they're, they're far more comfortable work areas, but still have resources tight, time of austerity, yep. all that stuff mm. you can so tell the difference in yeah. people who go actually we need to equip our own people and rather than just go oh we, we've run out of staff we need to recruit more yeah or how do we make you know there's so much more to actually you have to invest in the people who are actually delivering the help mm. and the support yeah. yeah i think it's like it's a culture and values yeah. question yeah yeah you know yeah and even things like um i don't know you said you worked to you know, churches and mm. youth groups and things. Mm. And even though we kind of, you, 
we're expecting great leadership mm. in areas where we don't actually, the system doesn't provide the support to yeah. equip them. And yeah. yet tobacco companies and yeah, other, yeah. other sorts, they, are, they realize that the evidence shows that the more you um, equip your people with the stuff yeah. that they need, they can lead better and you get better yeah. outcomes from your people. And mm. yeah. 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 I was just gonna thank you for your honesty mm. in terms yeah. of answering some of these questions sure. because this yeah. sounds like, and probably is still a little bit sharp. It is definitely sharp, bit, yeah, yeah. You know, so kind of it's stinging a little bit, yeah. and I appreciate you know you're doing it in a very considered way, and I don't feel like you're bagging anybody. You're mm. just being honest in terms of your experience, mm. but mm. equally that creates some vulnerability. So yeah. thank you, and uh, yeah. recognise that, man. Thanks, thank you. Yeah. No, yeah. No, I still have a commitment to the well-being of young people. I think what my jam is is the well-being of young people, and. Um, and yeah, it's been really interesting to get moving to a space for doing ADHD sort of conversations with adults. Mm. Yeah, Actually. tell us more about that. Ah, well, it's... Um, What's going on with ADHD and diagnosis? <clears throat> and I know, it's interesting, isn't yes. it? There's a massive kind of upsurge. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think people are more aware of it, the sort of debilitating impact of it. Uh, I think massive crossover with creativity. So, you know, I think in that, you know, you... you interface regularly with creative people like in, mm -hmm. in the Wellington this is a creative conversation yeah um and that sort of expansiveness you know uh you know like just being able to think outside of the square but you know if it serves you well then that's great yeah however uh, it doesn't serve everyone well you know mm -hmm. if they sort of can't you know get their life admin together to sort some stuff out and yeah. you know become you know, it's probably more of a sort of middle class problem is that your biggest problem is you might have a slightly too much on your, um, you know, your, <clears throat> your plate. With, on your plate and on your, you know, you've got too many overdrafts or whatever. For some people it's like, you you know, you, you sort of inclination towards kind of criminal behaviour because mm. you're impulsive and those sorts of things. But, um, yeah, I think I think it's real, you know. And I think okay. also the thinking around it was it was something that people grow out of. But no, people keep going and they adapt and sometimes they adapt right. badly and life mm. is harder than it has to be. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's getting worse or do you think our diagnoses of it is getting better? I don't I think I don't think it's yeah. getting worse. Of uh, there are some concerns about whether our diagnosis is too quick, you know. So mm. my part of it is I, I have a sort of like a two hour conversation, find someone's find out about their work history, their developmental history, school, all those sorts of things. Um, and I, so I don't diagnose, I work with a psychiatrist who does. Um, uh, so hopefully our diagnostic practice is solid and sound. Um, uh, but certainly I think you know, our attention is getting fragmented, right? Yes. We have yeah. these things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, Look at me, look at me, listen to me, you know. So I think for, for some people, it's, you know, that might be an irritation, but yeah. um, with pe when I talk to people with ADHD, it's like the fragmentation of their attention. Mm. You know, modern life is making that much harder. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Much harder to find strategies to manage and it. And find easier. strategies to manage yeah. it, yeah. 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 There's a lot of things there, but I also want to talk about you. Yeah. Oh, I like talking about everyone else. Yeah. I know. <laughs> That's my job. I know. <laughs> However, you did touch on some of the things which obviously mm. you have a vested interest in mm. and a practice in yeah. as well, which is leadership. Yeah. So we got 
Dion to summarise his journey and how he would summarise what he is and what he does and why. Could you do the same while I have a piece of chocolate? Yeah. So I can chill up. Then I get to deserve a bit of chocolate. I loved what you said about you believe in like evidence-based practices. So what I'm a coach. Yeah. I facilitate groups of people, mainly um, leadership teams mm. or um, help coach managers, mainly in public sector because yep. people live in Wellington. Um, my my thing in life is igniting potential in yeah. other people and helping yeah. them make more of a positive impact yeah. in what they do. Um, I use this really cool model called Clifton Strengths, which is all about positive psychology yeah. and looking at you know what happens if we look at what's right with people rather mm. than fixating on what is mm. wrong with mm. them and trying to grow that stuff and help mm. people become teams or groups of people, help them become more aware of who they are uniquely. And it's an incredibly... Um, I don't know, I find it such a rewarding job when you get to ask questions of people to, when they're figuring out their own superpowers and learning how to use them yep. in a life-affirming kind of way. Um, my favourite thing, I guess, is the variety of people I get to meet. Mm. I used to work as an employee for in the public sector for about 25 years yep. as well, um, doing, I don't know, data roles, policy roles, people management program leadership that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and it was during covid that i was like hang on a minute i'm spread so thin my bandwidth is yeah. um and i've really enjoyed my job and my career and the people i work with but i i really wanted to get a bit more laser focused into the stuff that i really love and know that i make an impact in mm -hmm. so i made the decision to quit and quit a very nice salary mm -hmm. and go and start running my own practice yeah just under two years ago it's been okay. two years wow yeah and it's still here. And I'm still here and it's, yeah, it's been life transforming and mm. illuminating and realizing, whoa, I've got a whole rest of my lifetime where I can literally grow and learn and, mm. and yeah, just, it's a huge variety, but you know, challenging running your own thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I've, I've got amazing people around me and support and mm. yeah, they tell me how to do stuff how not to do so. Yeah. And, what was yeah. the experience that transitioned you out though? What, oh, yeah, good not, a, not a specific mm. one, I'm sure there were multiple, but you... So but it was in... So I left my job in 2020, but it, it was 2018 that I did coaching, a coaching certification where I was a manager at the time and I was like, well, oh, coaching, I've, I've done all these, you know, one, we got given all these one day courses and stuff mm. on how to, mm. you know, coach staff and run teams and... Mm. I, I think there's a bit more of a, an art or a craft to how mm. to become a better coach. So I went and did a, um, whatever it was called, Accelerated Strengths Coaching Accreditation with mm -hmm. Gallup. And that course for that week, literally I came back going, whoa, this is really what I want to do. And mm. I studied psychology and maths mm. and I wanted to be a psychiatrist at mm. one point. Wow. And I realized I had to do seven years extra of degree, mm. which I couldn't afford because of student loans and whatnot. Um, but I've always been incredibly um, fascinated by human behavior, mm. what makes people tick, how yeah. to, you know, and I love maths, like the data behind it and all the evidence. So I've always been really into, um, yeah, human behavior and development and what makes us, um, function healthily and well as humans and how we can get along better together um so i went so i did this particular thing because it's all evidence-based and all the positive it, there's so much evidence behind strengths-based psychology and mm. and it's not just focusing on strengths you actually get learned how to manage weaknesses but yeah. you become more aware of what they are and yep. um 
you can you know and in a way that's quite a constructed language mm. Yeah, did I? I didn't even know. Can't remember what your question was now. No, you, you're right. You were, so you had those experiences <laughs> oh, to oh, segue you out. But of. the big question, yes. So in I had a coach myself because I right. thought, well, every coach needs a coach. Yes. So I had my own coach. Um, every therapist needs therapy. Yes, exactly. I've heard that <laughs> more so than anyone else probably because <laughs> of what you have to experience. But um, my coach asked me this random out of the blue question, saying, "Antonia, do you think you could make more impact?" Um, running a bunch of programs that you're really passionate for for the rest of your working life and you make a difference in the the vision and outcomes of those programs or would you have more of an impact coaching people who are running those programs okay. and it was so yep. obvious to me that i could have way more impact coaching others yep. and making them be better because i've always been quite generalist at everything i'm not mm -hmm. i don't know i'm not a genius at anything one particular i was like Imagine if I could help to so say that one, oh. I, I was really into data yeah. maturity and all this kind of data stuff. Mm. So imagine if I could coach five people who are doing that in different public sector agencies and help them be better at their jobs. That would have mm. fivefold impact on right. me just doing that one job it. that's a full time yeah. job plus more yeah. and having kids and family and everything. And it was such a kind of like, oh, I've only got like, you know, I'm in my 40s, I've only got this much life. What mm. am I doing with it? Mm. And I realized I can have way more impact in the world. I, I think doing what I do best, and I'm not very good at carrying the weight of responsibility. Like, of when I say the weight, um, the kind of I remember being when I was like in a management role, I loved people management, but I hated carrying the weight of 60 hour weeks and still realizing I needed to work 100 hour a week to get through mm. what I wanted to get through, mm. what those people deserved. And mm. I was like, I can't live on myself, just you know. And I, some people can just let it go, mm. and they're fine with it, and they're fine, kind of, I don't know. And I just kind of had this epiphany going. These people aren't getting what they deserve, like in the amount that I, energy I can give them. Mm. Very caring. Well, no, it's not because then you're leaving someone else in the lurch for it. But anyway, it is. It is. But I feel like now I've got this. My <laughs> well-being's intact, and I get to inject yeah. myself into spaces and actually be of use to people in a far more. Um, what do you call it? Far more, I guess, efficient and effective mm. way. Like I've had. So the place that I used to work, I've now got managers of managers who get me in for their leadership team things that never would have happened yeah. had I been what I was doing in yeah. that place you know and yeah. you spend one day and because they're paying for you as externally even though they probably pay me way more salary if I was internally yeah. they pay they kind of pay attention to what they're working yeah. on and you're getting them to do the stuff that you've always wanted to get them yeah. to do but you can influence from the outside because you're this kind of I don't yeah. know external injection of energy yeah yeah and hmm. you mentioned this framework the Clifton yeah. Strengths Framework, which you're obviously uh, a yeah. groupie of, you love it. Yeah. Drink the Kool-Aid. How can you, yeah, how can you describe <laughs> that to people who don't know about strength-based yeah. leadership, training, coaching, yep. or f a framework, right? It is a model. It's kind of like, the way I like to see it is, well, there's, there's this, it's a model that basically assesses you and tells you um, the kind of talents, the things that, the ways you naturally think, feel, and behave, mm -hmm. the stuff that you, are really strong in mm -hmm. and the stuff that you're kind of medium mediocre in and the stuff that you're actually doesn't even go inside your retina or your lens or the mm -hmm. way you watch so that's what that assessment does but strengths-based um, leadership in a way is basically identifying what helps you um, feel energized and thrive and when you're mm -hmm. doing things when are you in flow when mm -hmm. do you um, and it's probably really this why I'm really curious about ADHD and learning mm -hmm. more about it when people find themselves that they're in the zone, they're in the work, they're in the flow, yeah. what is it that they're doing? Who are they with? 
what what is the kind of essence of what they're doing then because they're probably using their talents yeah or it's the stuff that um you can also think about the way that we view each other like yeah. i'll look at you and have met you for five minutes mm. and i see you as a genius in terms of bringing people together in community and taking yeah. memorable moments from yeah. the photo booth sure. stuff that you do yeah yeah and that might be like a thing that you do in life that you go oh yeah it's just my you know maybe once upon a day it was just your side hustle yeah and other people are like there is so much value in the world with what yeah. you do <laughs> um and other people sometimes see the value that we bring but yeah. we don't see it ourselves yes it's yeah, a bit like, right. I don't know, you eat chocolate, with you pick it up with your right hand because that's your dominant hand. Yeah. Or if you're writing with your dominant hand, it's easy and you take it for granted. Yeah. But if you have to suddenly start writing in your left hand, it's a yeah. bit of a struggle. And So basically, it's a t things, strengths-based ways is teaching people how do you get to learn your dominant strengths, be aware of the stuff that you're already crap at because yeah. you can get others to support you with that, or you can t stop trying to be that and start being this. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the outcomes that you're trying to get from the stuff that you're not so good at use your your stronger things mm. to do them yeah so the assessment is run by you so you I'm would say that's that. fine Great. No, that's <laughs> crunchy chocolate mm. <laughs> quite good right mm. uh but the assessment you would run through and interview someone mm. and get that out and then it's an online assessment oh. costs quite a lot it's like a hundred bucks to do okay um so gallup is the company that like, they do all those gotcha yeah, yeah. worldwide polls and they mm -hmm. also sell the clifton strengths assessment the reason why it's so expensive is because they have bucket loads of, they have huge analytics teams and they have huge amounts of um, research that mm. goes into the algorithm for the assessment. Mm. So there's all these other free ones online. They're lovely, they're nice, but they don't really get to the depths of yeah. who you are. So you end up, it's a half hour, you spend half an hour online filling all these, you know, scaled questions from strongly agree to strongly disagree. Mm. And then it pops out at the end with your 34 talent themes in color coded yeah. order. So that's what this so it's half an hour of your life and you suddenly gotcha. get this thing. Sometimes people read this profile, it's 25 pages long, they start crying because they, 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 they're like, how does a robot know me more than I know myself? Right. And it says, you may have a tendency to dot, <laughs> dot, dot, or recognize, you're like, yeah. And you get some people mm. literally, that's exactly who I am. And there's all this clever stuff that they've got like 28 million people on their database now so the algorithms yeah. got quite clever mm -hmm. they keep their ip very secretive mm -hmm. us coaches have a little clue into it but we're not allowed to know that you know there's all these cross-cultural um oh, yeah. studies they've done yeah. they they're doing stuff on adhd at the yeah. moment but it's been in two years in the train and don't yeah. really know what the results are of that yeah. but and and often we fill in a questionnaire and think mm. it's a questionnaire yeah. you know but a questionnaire can become um you know redundant and in a couple of years and all that tremendous work that's the same with sort of um psychometric tests mm. you know, psychologists mm. use you know they're expensive because actually there's a lot of science and yeah. effort and technology in keeping them current yeah gotcha. um, yeah and, and the methodology analyzed. behind yeah. how the questions are answered yeah. Uh, yeah. asked and yeah. so yeah. once you have this report <clears throat> you as then the coach would look to decipher and then apply the results so me as a so somebody does a report, mm -hmm. and then me as a coach would come in and ask them heaps of questions because I basically I know lots about all thirty four of the talent themes, mm -hmm. so I mm -hmm. kind of I sort of say, you know, I know exactly what your village looks like, but I have no idea what your house, mm -hmm. so, you know, mm -hmm. I know what village you live in, but I don't know what your house looks like. That's what it's like with strengths. You can't, um, they'll they'll so it's a case of. Um, 
the process is kind of like becoming really for people to become more self-aware of what their strengths are and identify these things in themselves stuff that they may take for granted gotcha, yeah. so an example one of the things i became hugely aware on of when i did the coaching training was i've got the strength called developer which is like a relationship building strength it's got this kind of desire to see improvement in other people and you've got this wonderful patient and um, like encourager, mentor, coach type of person and you get a real thrill when you see other pe people progress mm. and I'm like yes that's me and like mm -hmm. all my life mm. I've loved being like the two I see to someone and when mm. I see them be successful I'm like yeah and that's my development and I never realized I had that as a strength and then you so that's kind of like becoming aware of what you've got and that's just one of the yeah. usually it's the top 10 that are your dominant right and then you start going, okay, given I'm kind of have become more aware of that mm. talent in my life, how have I seen that talent theme in action in my past? Mm. How has it helped mm. me be successful? Can mm. I think of certain situations where I've seen because of that talent stuff's happened mm. that's mm. better served the world around me or it's helped me be more successful in what I've do, done gotcha, or yeah. I felt more engaged at work or I've been more productive? Or, and you start thinking of ex um, trying to get specificity around like appreciating deeply appreciating rather than just going oh yeah yeah that's me lots of people read their profile and go yeah yeah that's so me put it in the drawer don't like do anything like the horoscope right go, yes. yeah that's me and yes, then so me whatever and it's like but my job as a coach is to get them to deeply appreciate this superpower that they've got mm. and then the third stage is really about applying it so okay so what can you do in the next 24 hours that will build that muscle a bit more so if you think of strengths being a bit like muscles if you don't do your press-ups, they're a bit flabby, mm. you know, and you've actually mm. got to press up on the stuff that yeah. you know and you're good at every day because then it becomes natural talent. So my whole um, quitting my job and starting my own practice, all of it is built yeah, around my strengths. Yeah, so and got, you had to do that. To, yeah, so I was like, strategic, it, it. how do I apply that in my yeah. strategic, like seeing trends and patterns, developer, mm. well, that's obvious. I'm, I'm going, I want to be a coach, I want yeah. to coach one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. Achiever, task list, goals, yeah. milestones, stuff like that. Maximizer, how can I go from good to great to even mm. better? Um, then like belief is all about my values. And yeah. I've mm. got a huge value around family and quality yeah. time with family. And I noticed I was spending so much time away from kids, yeah. even though I now work at home and I'm physically there, yeah. but I'm probably less present because <laughs> I'm so into my work. Right. So yeah. there, there is in a dilemma that's affecting my value of family at the moment. Mm. Um, mm. And yeah, so you can think about how do you actually apply the strengths that you've got to exactly what you're doing mm. or to a particular challenge you've got mm. or, yeah. Just come back to that idea of knowing thyself, right? Yeah. Really, but like deeply. Mastering thyself. That self-awareness, yeah. that yeah. self kind yeah. of understanding. Yeah. However, because we have a very busy world, which you talked mm. about, the distractions mm. that go mm. on, we don't spend an, a lot of time on us individually. Do we? Unless we're forced to, you know, yes, you need to develop those skills because we did an assessment in work and there's yes. a crisis. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Let's now yeah. figure that shit out. But mm. this is more a proactive mm. lens. Yeah. What have you noticed, like in the mental health space, what have you noticed when people have those almost like deep dives into self awareness building through circumstances that they may find themselves in or chat, uh, what so stages think, in life? Um, because my work has predominantly been adolescence, mm. um, you know, from 13 to 18, there's such huge change. And even like right up to 25, right? Yeah. Such huge change. So that kind of idea of 
introspection is quite difficult to pin down because the young person themselves is quite a moving target and yeah. who they're becoming, what they're trying on, yeah. you know, and then you add a layer of illness. Well, I mean, illness is one paradigm, mm. but, it, you know, obviously in the health sector, we use that paradigm and lean on it a lot and it's a really useful one. I'm just thinking about what you're talking about with that kind of um, strength-based and we have um, practices that are strength-based as well. But, you know, I often think about our job as like, everyone's got a baseline, you know, yeah. an optimum kind of way of being and we are sort of trying assisting people with therapies and other methods back to their baseline. But we don't really do a very good job of getting them over the baseline, uh, okay. which is that coaching, yeah. you know, stuff. And I, in, in AD, ADHD, what I often hear, the most common refrain is, you know, if you say, you know, tell me about your school reports, so, you know, does not achieve potential. Oh, there we you go. You know, and it's really interesting, you know, and that's like, you know, when you're the class clown or, you know, there's an inattentive type of ADHD. Mm -hmm. It's the person that doesn't get noticed, who's sort of daydreamy and vague, yeah, but um, you know, both, both of them are sort of does not achieve potential, yeah. um, which, you know, I don't know, you can get by on mm. up until you're maybe your mid-20s and, mm. you know, um, enjoy your life. But once you start realising that people are meeting, you know, one of my clients says, it's like, it's like I'm in the drive, I'm not in the drive, I'm in the passenger seat of my life. I look at my friends, they're mm. all driving mm. their car, uh, but I'm in the passenger seat. Yeah. And um, Is that I think, about like a deficit in defining one's purpose then? Uh, well, I guess, yeah, yeah. so having, um, uh, well, it's maybe a deficit in, because I think purpose is a really important oh. part of this um, conversation about uh, mental health as well. Mm -hmm. And for young people, the development of young people is like, it's that time to figure out who you want to be, what you're about, you know. Mm. Um, but it, no, I think it's a deficit in being able to apply oneself to your purpose. Yeah. Okay, you know? not the purpose itself. Yeah. And... As a young person as well, the neural pathways are still forming and yeah. changing constantly. And now we know there's new research about technology impacting yeah. on attention yeah. and all oh, these other the, things. Yeah. Absolutely. It's such an amorphous space yeah. to be living in, society, I mean, at the moment, and being a young person. Yeah. Yeah. So you're molding constantly to yeah. what's going on, which is being remolded constantly. That's right. So it's sort of, That's I don't know, in you, your teenage years, everyone within, you know, reason does foolish things. Impulsive things. I know. How, how, how were you, DK, the sixteen-year-old? I was a quiet, yeah, person who always had a, a school report that said could do better. Wow, constantly. Really? Is that right? Everyone yeah. except for one subject, which was yeah. art. Okay, you did wow. better. Yeah, yeah, all A's. Wow. The only thing yeah. I could do in school. Yeah. Hmm. I've got what's this recently like in the last year i seem to be attracting or there's some sort of magnetism with adults really high high achieving high professional adults who are being diagnosed with adhd who suddenly come to me and go i really want you as my coach i've worked mm. with a few others and there's some and then i've just been back to the uk mm. um uh, to visit my mom and i saw a couple of friends on the way and my, my one of my best friends from childhood. She's just been diagnosed yeah. with with ADHD, and she's thinking about her daughter. Yeah. And apparently, it goes. Uh, okay. She's like, Antonio, read this article. Yeah. 
that's my childhood. Mm. And then it's, so I feel like, have I got ADHD? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But people, you know, there's things like um, A for effort. Yeah. And then yeah. you get involved in <laughs> adrenaline sports, yeah. like around the parrot, the skydiving club and mountain biking, skiing and stuff like that. Yeah. Loved emergency management. I used to be on yeah. the Sims teams. Yeah, sensation seeking. Sensation seeking, everything. Yeah. I'm like, okay, that's yeah. weird. But I don't, I, and then, and then I've, I've got this kind of stigma in my head that I think maybe if, you know, people out there, um, if you think, if you personally think you've, you, if you're going to get, you might just get diagnosed with something that actually you've got coping strategy. Like my friend was at six, she goes, look, if you see this stuff and compare, because we both grew up together. Mm. And she's like, you just seem to have a really good coping mechanisms. Like you get to be adrenaline-y with your running your own practice yeah. and you get to go whoo, 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 and have all the variety and get to switch, switch up lots of stuff. Well, so your elements um, are being served yes, in a, like a yes. pro-social way. But I guess, yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Way. Yeah. Well, but my right. attention span is terrible. Like I even told, like I told you, so I said you might need to counsel me on this because my head, my headspace gets so chocker. Yeah. And I'm not very good at coping with layers of noise or all that kind of stuff. But I think what my main question is: there's people who are coming to me in my life. Yeah. Who want coaching support? We seem to have a chemistry that's good. Yeah. How do I best support them as a coach? Well, it sounds like you are. <laughs> but I don't know anything about it. Like, well, which yeah, books I, I'm, I read I'm not sure. If, well, yeah, that, yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, I think it's probably um, a you're you're running a sort of evidence-based kind of um, approach because mm. my impression in a lot of coaching stuff is there's stuff that's kind of feels good and is vaguely good and people like, yep. and everyone can anyone can hang up their slate and call themselves a coach, you know. Yeah. But will this actually? Um, give people the results that they want. Yeah. I think also because with ADHD, there are incredible strengths, yeah. you know, so not everyone, it's not, um, it's not only a deficit view. I, I talk to my clients about, it's part superpower, part kryptonite. And some people find the right jobs for themselves yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, um, and jobs that are sort of, you know, high energy, you know, tides in, tides out, they rest, they come back and mm, it's full mm. on and it's deadline. Right. You know, yeah. those sorts of things. Yeah. You know, like what what is like in the film industry, product, pro production, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, I had this geography teacher at school. The only thing I remember Mr. Langdon saying, <laughs> Mr. Langdon, I think that was him, saying it's like, you know, a natural disaster is only a disaster if people were there. You know, a volcano mm. goes off, or a forest fire it's like that's just that's just nature right yeah and i think often these you know maybe we lived in a time where people with these kind of really split attentions um it's better for some environments than others yeah. it became beethoven or mozart or well, yeah i don't yeah that flawed sort of genius idea possibly yeah, but yeah. you know i mean <clears throat> you know i often use this example maybe it's fair i'm not sure but you know there's a, there's a um, there's a great video on the spin-off about a New Zealand skateboarder who it doesn't say he has ADHD, but I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, mm, you know, he he was incredible. He skated with this guy called Lee Ralph, skated with Tony Hawk, right. and um, his sort of career kind of paused. It got to a sort of plateau, not because of any big disaster, except for that he wasn't really um, he wasn't paying attention to details of daily living, mm. like green cards or passports or visas was not really his thing, you know. Um, so, I mean, he's got a really philosophical way of looking at that. Uh, 
But for someone else, that might be quite painful to not achieve that potential. Yeah. yeah. You know? So it all just depends on the individual. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. So people need some support. Obviously, with ADHD, medication is one of those supports, but actually, so is compensated strategy. So people coming to you because you obviously seem to possess the insight and the and the ability to help them access the compensatory strategies that they yes. knew they need. Yeah. You know. It's actually targeted towards outcomes and goals. That's right. And achieving yeah. a difference to yeah. as to why they. I mean, want people coaching. with ADHD yeah. hate, absolutely hate doing pointless tasks. Yeah. Like, yeah. whereas I, you know, I mean, you know, full disclosure, I probably would sort of I self-identify. Like, I've done enough screens <laughs> and know my work history enough to kind of go, if I'm not if I'm not there, I'm pretty adjacent to it. You know. Mm. Right. Um, you know, give me something novel to do. Yep, I'm in it. You know, usually f mm. if I can move around and stuff, but put a form in front of me, more than a page, it's like, oh, please help me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, or a or a task that you can't see the point of. Mm. You know, mm. um, so it's really hard for some people. And but they they you know to do a job like that, mm. where they're required to do lots mm. of tasks that they can't see the point of. Yeah. Well, you're both describing it's almost. A, a fit problem, right? Sometimes it's a fit problem. So part of the strategy and treatment with ADHD, yeah. ADHD, and I said to a guy the other day, it's like, sounds like what you're saying is that you're in the wrong job. You know, I'm not saying you don't, this diagnosis is not valid or not, but mm. you know, maybe you need to mm. think about doing some of those other things that you were doing. Yeah. Yeah. That you, when you were getting flow. Yeah. Or um, even I'm thinking of a complete, like normal, just begin bell curve, normal bit in the middle is even like you notice you've got kids mm. you, you notice the difference one teacher can make compared to another oh yeah and, yeah, and that's only because they know how to tailor mm. to whatever yeah, your child yeah. needs yeah. my daughter this year has got the most amazing teacher and literally she has blossomed yeah. this year and within the first time we got to meet her which is probably about three months into the term we had a parent one of those you know what is it 40 minutes for a parent teacher interview and I was like, wow, this teacher knows our kid. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, nice. and it's really nice. Mm. And it was, and I thought, and you notice the difference in her, that she's suddenly become more confident, oh, yeah. she's more outspoken, mm. the things that used to freak her out don't freak her out anymore. Yeah. Like, and it's like, it's just because the teacher's tuned in to that. So I think the, the, so the craft of human mm. being, yeah. as in being a human, is for us to be able to, tune in to each other because yeah. we are so uniquely different yeah. each even if we share the same yeah. skill sets or yeah. even the same strengths people are yeah. different in how they play them yeah yeah you know it sounds like to me Antonio that you're tuning into those people and I don't know you know it's just weird I'm like is this normal why am I and so I put a help question out does anyone know anything about ADHD and what's useful yeah. tools for it? and apparently there's a whole bunch of us but it's like why why is it that there's a lot of people I'm attracting at the moment because it mm. kind of seems like disproportionately not the population. Mm. Either that or there's a huge diagnosis it's stuff so good that going someone on. someone new to make a referral. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Printing referral pipelines. Yeah, and it's yeah, interesting yeah. because, yeah, you know, like, real time. Yes. So trying to move not, not out of that space of soft yeah. psychopathologizing. Yes. It's a real dilemma, right? Like, so when is something an illness or a psychopathology? Or when is it just, mm. I don't know, a characteristic? Yes. I've got know? this real simplistic view, which probably pisses off people who are highly trained in all this but i believe that every human is just somewhere on a bell curve of different oh. things high five really That's good go. I've, I've annoyed people in the past it's so much more complex than that. i was like are we all not just part of some big sphere of bell curves where we all are 
And we're just mm. more extreme, less extreme. It's a 3D extreme, thing or 4D thing. Or way, 7D. Yeah, maybe it's, yeah. 7D. But I do think, yeah, like, yeah. I know this is what I often explain. Yeah. You know, like, um, you know, so I'm, I always worked with, with teenagers. Um, but it actually wasn't until I, you know, we had our own family and I, my two boys shared a room and the way that they fall asleep, I never had to, I used to be really aligned to teenagers, like, yeah, your parents are annoying, they're a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah, and, them. and now I look at these teenagers that come in and my work with child and adolescent mental health, it's like, I just look at the parents and think, oh, they were a cute little muffin one day and <laughs> now they're breaking your heart. But I, one thing I never quite appreciated was temperament, you know? And I think what switched on the light for me was, um, I, I, and maybe I'm just a little more dense, but it took having some kids to go, oh yeah, so Stanley, I mean, he can be really high spirited around bedtime, but when his head hits the pillow, he's gone. Harold, he'll just be on the pillow and his brain is going, he's wearing, he's wearing, you know, he's not anxious, he's just thinking about stuff mm. and it'll take him one or two hours to fall asleep. You know, that's temperament. That's, they're somewhere different. Yeah. If you took, mm. take that measure of, yeah. when I ask a person an assessment, what's your sleep like? You know, I'm not just yeah. asking how many hours, you know, what's mm. it been like, what mm. was it like when you were a kid? Yeah. You know, mm. it's like some people just aren't wired that way yeah. and some people yeah. aren't, you yeah. know? So there's this bell curve. Yes. And, and it's, maybe we say psychopathology, I don't know if that's a great word, but it's really if it's like, does it interfere with your daily life? Has it limited your life? Mm. You know, um, is it causing pain and distress mm. and suffering in your life? You know, and that's where you get to those extremities of the bell yeah. curve, really. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess maybe you're getting executives and business leaders and stuff coming to you, and they've got maybe they've got a good life, and the, the, mm. you know, but they also probably aware that they're not reaching their potential. Mm. And exactly, I was just going to pick up on that because I remember my time as a youth worker, not as sharp as the end as you, we did some outreach and things mm. like that, but it was more community based and artistic yep. based and sport based and all that stuff. But uh, I always remember the key thing we would come back to is the idea of participation for young people, yep. which underlying all that is empowerment. Yep. So they feel empowered, mm. they yep. had ownership over voice or, or a, a project they were involved with, but it was all about participation. But the empowerment piece also comes to, to both what you're mm. saying, right? It's empowering people both first understand, mm. being self-aware to mm. self-assess, whatever it is, and then being empowered with pathways or strategies mm. or coping mechanisms or things like that. Yeah. And it also comes back to what you were saying about the strength-based assessment yeah. things. So now I know what's the next bit, mm. right? You're gonna empower me to understand how to assess this and apply it. Or even give you the tools so you learn your own strategies of how mm. to get empowered. Right, like okay. That, that sleep, it's literally was having a coffee with my friend this morning on exactly this topic of... You were drinking a stimulant with your friend? Yeah, yeah. drinking a stimulant with my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so you only drink tea. And what was the impact on you? The, um, Didn't feel anything. Talking about sleep patterns yeah. and how different kids are. Yeah. And it's like, how do we as parents help teach them the strategies they need to know in order to self-manage themselves. Because yeah. when they yeah. get to adolescence, they're going to need to know a whole bunch mm. more self-management strategies of, mm. I don't know, how to help your mind rest to get yeah. to sleep at night. Mm. Yeah. Or versus the, the kid who's yeah. all on the pillow out yeah. and for eight it, hours. It's really interesting that, you know, the narrative that we uh, sort of in at the moment, it feels around the, perhaps, perhaps a, um, 
perhaps as a sort of <clears throat> the dark side of an improved awareness of mental well-being and mental health mm. is now we sort of do pathologize lots of stuff that can you know it's maybe that's just a normal problem that yeah. you need to yeah. solve yeah you know um yeah. not everything is a mental illness like actually feeling sad even for a sustained amount of time is actually you know a, yeah. a, you know we used to call it ennui and yeah. you know and you know i remember being melancholic yeah or yeah it was just you know i remember i for some reason remember the summer of being 12 the transition from intermediate to college and feeling very sad and lonely, you know? It right. was like, well, there's a good reason for that, you know? Yeah. Um, and we need to help people solve those problems themselves yeah. as well. You know, and there's a whole other sector in yeah. mental health that's working on that. Yeah, um, of course. We've got the choice nowadays to put ourselves into so many, not, well, I say, many privileged people have the choice these days <laughs> to put themselves into multiple different scenarios in life. Mm. I don't know, like, most people nowadays are dual income families yeah. like yeah. one generation ago that wasn't mm. possible you mm. know you, or and so you're we're all able to take on a lot more in the world of bandwidth yeah but it's actually causing us quite a lot of cost yeah <laughs> and yet there's all these tools that are there whether yeah. it's meds or other things yeah. that actually help us sustain the way we're choosing to yeah. live but if you look at rural villages in I don't know, somewhere like Nepal or yeah. India, and they don't have those, but they're, they're, yeah. they're running their lives very differently. Yeah. And yet well-being might be quite high in yes. some of those places because yeah. they, they, they're choosing different, you know, people have different roles in yeah. the family or the way the community works yeah. together. They're more dependent on one another. Yeah. So being a maths person and a metric-based <laughs> lady that you are assessment-based. Can't do mental arithmetic, though. I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> is the metric wrong for what we're assessing for life and quality? Yes. Because if you look at somewhere like yes. Bhutan, which yep. is the outlier, you know, oh, yeah. the yep. gross happiness domestic index. happiness, mm -hmm. and yeah, it was the best in the world. But if you look, their GDP is not even mm -hmm. close, and all yep. sort of stuff to other emerging <gasps> or developing. I moved nations. to New Zealand, and two, sorry, this is you've no picked problem. on a good topic. Thank you very much. Go, <laughs> run. I moved to New Zealand in 2004 and got a job with the Treasury. This is mm. back when, it, what was that, 18 years ago? <laughs> years and I was ago, like, yes. why are we measuring exports as a percentage of GDP? Why are we measuring? And I remember just being like this, I've always wondered, why are we measuring what we're measuring mm. as a, a, for economic growth? And, you know, that was me in my junior career times and whatnot. Fast forward into 2022 and people are starting to talk about well-being economics. Finally, yeah. and yes, people have been talking about it for decades prior, but suddenly we're mm. taking it a bit more seriously. But yeah. we kind of were having those conversations 18 years ago, yeah. but people weren't taking it seriously. It's like, what are we, what are we measuring progress on? Mm. And I'm not, I mean, I've known some very good economists out there. I'm not one of them, mm. but they have rich and robust conversations about exactly this stuff. And mm. I'm wondering how, what is it that we need to shift in our systems mm. thinking to actually get the world to wake up a little bit and yeah. isn't it that the the fault of that is because the incentive to change isn't there, there. yes and there's no the burning incentive platform to oh hang on there was covid there we go but the incentive <laughs> to continue to measure the specific areas yeah. which you've always measured yeah. serve some other purpose yeah. and i'm not going to get into conspiracy theories <laughs> but you know the capitalistic model 
exists for a reason and yeah. it continues to exist for a reason and continues to have an It's influence. what we're used to. It's how we. Yeah. It's how societies have been mm. built. Yeah. So yeah. then it has an impact on what we measure because what we measure gets managed, and yeah. we don't want to manage yeah. something. That's out. right. Mm. What do you think of this? Oh, I'd like to You know, like uh, probably yeah, glaze over with measurements and you know outputs and those sorts of things to some degree. But I had a fascinating conversation with someone recently about we're measuring the wrong things, you know. Mm. And so when I get a young person uh, come in for treatment and, you know, um, they may have, you know, like we talked about, scientifically validated, validated measures and forms and you know we need to know that what we're doing is doing what we say that it's doing mm. on the other hand um, in mental health what we do is we add a score to that and that goes to the ministry and someone in the oh, ministry okay. says you know yes that that team is doing okay or not or give them more funding or what whatever and um, but it has no connect to the young person, you know, who, yeah. And it's leaving a workplace the most remarkable thing when you, because I stayed longer to finish some work with some people and the feedback I got from young people in the families was so unexpected because yeah. um, they knew we were all wrapping up, yeah. mm. um, but unable to be translated into the stats that the, um, you know, you made it, th this work made a difference in my life you know, you help me get from here to here, and they could tell a story. Yeah. And you know, when we put everything into a <clears throat> into a sort of seven point kind of measure, what you know, uh, you know, like, and what do we do with the people that don't fit into those measures, but they're still distressed? Yeah. You know, and even this idea of mental illness, and you know, as as opposed to the conversation that goes around uh, around about illness versus distress, you know. Because people come to us with distress, young, mm. particularly in a adolescent mental health context, it's like, well, you know, a person might grow out of this phase, and it's a really distressing phase. Yeah. Um, do we have to call it an illness to give mm. them some help? Well, I think if yeah. the measuring boffins would say yes, we do, because that's how you release the funding. Mm. But I don't think that is a great way to do it. And think and you'll learn it, think of the ripple impact that it's never ever going to be measured and never could be, even mm. when you're measuring lots of other right things. Mm. Oh, all those things are not measured. Yeah. 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 yeah, and I think Sorry. I think, you know, like I still see people that are because I think I talked about psychoses before and you know, having a mental illness that includes psychoses. So we're talking about hearing things, seeing mm. things that aren't apparent to other people, mm. you know, um, having delusional ideas like really complex delusional ideas. It's such a frightening place to be. I've met these people, I've worked with them, and, and I still see some of these guys around. I bump into them in all sorts of places, and they're doing amazing things, and no one would know that how unwell that they were, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, how do we measure that? And then how do we measure the impact that their life has yeah. then had? I mean, I think, you know, I guess a dream that we would come back to Values. Are we acting according mm. to our values and what are the values that we, um, how do we measure whether we're yeah, acting according to values? It's interesting you said the ripple there because I, mm. I was reminded of the three ROIs, 
which you know ROI, return, return on investment. investment. Oh, yeah. 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 Which you have to you just said it in a Welsh yeah. accent, so it yeah. really ROI. Yeah. <laughs> so the ROI of doing youth work or strength-based yeah. stuff has some measurements, some models sure. building. Some you could question, but yeah. some are mm. robust as mm. well, and we mm. like. And you but can still question them, though. But you look, get, at the, of you course, look at the yeah, yeah. pattern of it. Mm. But there are two other ROIs that most people don't realise. Mm. I, I discovered this years ago when I was like doing a lot of leadership sessions with leaders around social media. Mm. And we had to demonstrate the ROI of this because we didn't want anybody just playing around with Facebook all day. And the leaders were like, if I'm investing in this, I want to see an ROI, yeah. which is great. So mm. I actually came, not I didn't come up with, I stole some other ROIs to say, okay, I can demonstrate that this will actually have a, a return on investment for you X amount of money. Great. But there are two others. Now the two others are fun because you mentioned one. One is ripple of impact. Mm. So actually mm. you won't see the impact now. The, yeah. the work that I'm doing, it's got a 10 to 20 year mm. output. It's like a whiskey. This is distillery <laughs> stuff going on here. But the ripple of impact is going to yeah. be down the line. Yeah. You're going to see it, mm. but it's not going to be immediate. Yeah. Mm. And then a third one of ROI is the risk of ignoring. Oh, yes. What yeah. if you don't yes. do this? What we yeah. don't invest in is, and is it, that's a storytelling oh, yeah. motif happening yeah. there now. Now you have to imagine, now you, yeah. sometimes you don't. Now you can say, actually, five years we mm. weren't doing this, so look at mm. the work mm. and look at now what's happening. So, My, I'd argue that mental health's probably funded more on the risk of ignoring versus the ripple of impact. Maybe. Or it could be pulled back into that now. Mm. The, the whole the whole way our budgets work is to try and help fix a lot of the short-term symptoms that well i guess we, yeah i feel my, my initial response was i don't think so but when i just on second take you know it's like you have to be in a crisis to get the best mm -hmm. help okay so you know so what's the what's the let's just imagine for a moment the risk of ignoring a a, a, a major level crisis, you know, which I think probably when we think about it in, um, in mental health, it's the spectre of suicide is most people, what most people are frightened about. Mm. Although most suicides occur outside of um, people who are, you know, using mental health services. Um, so mental illness is not always the primary driver around suicide. Mm. But, you know, um, we want to, the risk of ignoring someone who's so unwell so we've got to see them and we park the person who's not so unwell yeah and we'll just leave them to get a little bit more unwell until they're and so unwell you yeah. know yeah. and so mental health services are on this kind of crisis yeah. response um kind of mouse wheel mm. you know mm. uh and unable to respond to the people who are sort of not that unwell yet right. and what are we saying to people oh well, you don't need help mm -hmm. yet. Mm. <laughs> You're not bad enough, yeah. you know. Um, and I don't know if that's a sort of a, you know, policy, a government issue. I don't know where that gets yeah. solved. I, yeah. I'm just a sort of frontline guy. Jest. Yeah. Only jest. For like 25 <laughs> years of experience, yeah. jest. Sure. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot more going That's on. great. ROI. Mm. The three ROIs. Yeah. yeah. Return investment, ripple of impact. Risk of ignoring. Nailed it. Next time, go on pen. Yeah. There we go. So that leads me to another topic I want to discuss with you because you're yeah, just screw. Look at that's posh. It's a fountain pen. Very nice. In terms of your formative years, because 
You were born, brought up in Dorset, but you went to college up north, didn't you? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. you ended up in Newcastle? Yeah, Newcastle upon Tyne. Oh, yeah. And you're a born and bred Yes. In terms of Wellington, yeah, which right. is odd nowadays. Whereabouts in Wellington? So I um, grew up in Nio. Ah. Uh, it, yeah, maybe I need to apologise for that pronunciation. I, I, you know, try and do my best for, for pronunciation, but I mm. find the words that I grew up with the hardest to change. Of course, yeah, Nio, um, which is, you know, a little basin valley in between Kandala and some other suburbs. Um, and so there's a little railway village there called mm. Tarikaka Settlement. And I think Tarikaka is the proper name for what was known as Mount Kaukau or Mount Coco. Um, okay. Do you know the big transmitter? I know where you're talking yeah, yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I grew up in there. It was a railway settlement. I was very working class. My dad worked for the railways. All the families worked for the railways. And amidst this sort of really sleeper community mm. of middle management, New Zealand government. Uh, Must be out there, yeah. Yeah, and then at 11 we moved to Newlands, which was known as the progressive suburb. Okay. That's what the sign said on the road. Really? Yeah, the progressive progressive suburb. (laughs) You know. I love these names. Yeah, the progressive (laughs) suburb. We joke about the progressive suburb. And um, Newlands, and then so when I left home, Newtown. So I really only would live in places starting with an N. Yeah, so it's not like... That's that. What's yeah. next? Okay. So I, I actually live in Waifetu, uh-huh. uh, uh, which I like to call North Eastbourne. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I actually have, I bought a house in Waifetu in 2003 and lived there. And, um, and um, yeah, I've lived there since. And is it your 13th anniversary today? Oh, yeah, it's my 13th wedding anniversary wedding today. Wedding, yeah. yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks very much. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. awesome. Happy anniversary. Yeah, thanks for the tip-off yeah. about lace. I might go buy something yeah. with a lace. So it's, our, it's um, our 13th wedding anniversary this year. Okay. Right. This yep. next month. And lace and is like, the... Lace. Apparently it's lace. Lace is the traditional... We always do the traditional... The only good ones so far have been a leather tool belt. Oh, yeah. But it was best. I think that was year nine. Yeah. And That's functional, like that. pottery. The pottery was... What year is pottery? Maybe that was year 10. I We've got a little candle holder up. and we always light a candle... At every that's dinner sweet. time, oh, that's right. and that's we go sweet. around the table and say to everyone what we're thankful for. Yeah. Usually, it starts off with something. Well, I'm not thankful for. Yeah. And the kids are like, no, this is about gratitude. Well, maybe you can just get a doily. <laughs> a doily. Yeah, a doily to go under the candles. Yeah, did you grab a doilies yeah. too? I remember doilies on the back yeah. of like sofas yeah. and things like that, like yeah. all over the place. Like put a doily on anything. Especially in Wales, surely. I know. Yeah, yeah. but my mum can do the proper lace making stuff. Wow. You know, with the bobbins. Can yeah. I commission her? Do all that. See you doing that. And I, was, I don't know what you're doing. It's all a little bit matrixy to me. Yeah. It's like, and uh, yeah, she's a proper craft mum. Yeah. She crochets. Like the mandalas of, Wales, yeah. of yeah. the bellies of Wales. Totally. Yeah. She, she, if something's not, you know, strapped down, she'll sew it together or something. Yeah. yeah. Cool. She's awesome. But, uh, but what about you then in terms of your formative years growing up in the southwest, but also yeah, going yes. up into the northeast? That's a very different experience. Well, formative years, it was. Dorset in the middle of no, a bit like the Catlins here. Right, where in Dorset? No one's heard of it. Come on. In fact, I've met one person in New Zealand. Go on. Who was like, oh, I used to live in that village. Horton. Horton, yeah. Horton. H-O-R-T-O-N. Oh, no, the other Horton one. Horton yeah. is a who. The, yes, yeah. <laughs> that Horton. <laughs> that's how people would have heard of it. Yeah. Um, but that was, that's not the village. So the village Horton has a village shop. 
don't know if it's still there. Um, the nearest bus stop is a 10-minute drive away. Nice. The okay. nearest train station is about a 30-minute drive away. Wow. And we grew up, and it, there was a field out the back that we used to rent out to the local farmer for his, his rams or cows and things. Brilliant. And um, so that, but I loved Dorset. I loved my childhood. Yeah. It was great. Dorset coast is, I think, the most beautiful coastline mm. in the world, apart from all yeah. the people there. The co the co we used to do geography field trips and things yeah. down on the Dorset coast and all the sand dunes and I loved geography mm -hmm. and learning about erosion and decomposition and all that kind of rock formation and volca volcanic rock and all that. Mm -hmm. um, where have you been? In uh, uh, well, as at Dorset, uh, I went to a is, a is Exmoor National Park near there? Exmoor is Devon. I think it's Devon. Sorry, it's it's Devon. Thing yeah. is, I'm terrible with UK geography. Devon, Westwood, Hope, but I had yeah. oh, too along, yes, but you probably went along the Dorset between. coast yeah. to get there. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah it's just yeah. Uh, hedgerows yeah. and rolling hills. It did And bridge yes. just then yes. so kind of ancient and yes. worn down. I don't mean in a bad way, worn down. No. But, Beautiful. Know. The green, the green yeah. of the fields yeah, is the thing that. Yeah. And anyway, then I decided to go to uni at the furthest possible place away. That did maths and psychology, which is like four unis in the whole of UK. Right, so that's why you kept I thought down. Newcastle, that's far enough away to be away from home. But that yeah. must and be then, a baptism of fire from a perspective of Newcastle's a big old city and it's grim up north. No, it's <laughs> I can say that because they <laughs> go, our oh, friends <laughs> up north. But it's not, they but it is very different. In the winter. There's that, the ladies. <laughs> yes. But it's a very different experience of growing up in a rural yes. idyllic. Dorset. And private schools, boarding okay. schools. That was, did, that was my formative years. Okay. Yes. So how was yeah. that uni experience? Did it? Oh, I love. I loved uni. Yeah. yeah. And then, well, when I was sixteen, my parents moved to Winchester, which is a bit beautiful. more of a, a bigger city, still village like. It's got a cathedral you know. and everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You've been to Winchester. Yeah, yeah. Winchester. It's not a city. It's a, it's a town. So but it's got to... a cathedral, so it's classed as a city. Yes. 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 It, uh, yeah. Stupid you get the yeah. It's yeah. weird, isn't it? Yeah. So that was what they call intermediate here, so from 16 to, no, not intermediate, 16 to 18, okay, college, yeah, yeah. so sixth form college. Yeah, um, so you had a taste of big city yeah. living by that big point. Big city living, yeah, Winchester. Convertible, yeah. Horton, yeah. <laughs> exactly, and then, yeah, no, Newcastle was great. I loved it, I was only there for three years, but okay. the Geordies are like yeah. the friendly, when you can understand them, and it took well, me about a year to understand. So funny, I had this um, really cool uh, friend on my, she was in my maths, they were, maths was huge. There were about, I don't know, there were only like 10 girls out of 150 students, psychology. That's where about you 10 boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was very weird in those days, how yeah. things just weren't as, it shows how my age now. The, um, yeah, she called me Antonia. And the, the, <laughs> but, uh, so it was the, just as we, we were writing cards to each other on our third year when we were graduating, she wrote my card, dear Antonio. So you've been, we've known each other for three years and she always called me Antonio. And I always thought she said um, Antonia. Right. She always thought I was called Antonio. I was like, wow. Anyway, that's I don't know why that's come, years getting come it wrong, to mind. Yeah. You didn't even pick it up. <laughs> I didn't even pick it up. Love that. But why did yeah. you come to New Zealand? Good question. Yeah. Well, 2004, you so mentioned. So after uni, I, went, I got a kind of proper job in London that I decided to defer for a year because you could do it. It was one of those grad intake mm. jobs. Um, and it was a very serious chartered accounting kind wow. of job. That's, that's another story. Uh -huh. 
and I thought, oh, I want to do my OE kind of traveling around the world thing. So I went and lived, I worked in Canada in a ski resort for six months, great. which was great in um, Banff, not in the ski, but they had three ski resorts near Banff. Mm. And then I had a ticket that took me to around the world, Southeast Asia and Australia and New Zealand. So I had three weeks in New Zealand and then I went back to London for this proper job that I deferred yeah. by a year and they let me to go and have, you know, get into real life. And um, I just dre I dreamt about New Zealand all the time. Oh. So I was in London about was it four or five years. Okay. And I had this, I had, I had photographer friends who lived in Queenstown. Um, and Chris, Christine and Blair McKenzie, very cool lifestyle photographers. I don't know, photo business mm -hmm. or what. Um, they took a picture of me just as I was leaving. That They were living in their parents' garage shed that they'd converted into a photo studio house. They had a seven week old baby when I went to go and stay with them oh, in Queenstown and they were just, they're just an amazing couple. And Blair took this photo of me holding up a piece of paper that said, don't deny your dreams. Yeah. Um, with the <laughs> remarkables in the background. Right. Snow covered yeah. remarkables. And obviously being a photographer, it was a very good photo. <clears throat> and I had that stuck up on my wall in London. And then every time I got the underground tube, it was, you know, there's hundred percent pure New Zealand ads, which the irony is I ended wow. up being the like monitor evaluator person for the return on investment <laughs> for tourism New Zealand's international marketing spend because of these, well, and these love like, that. anyway all connected so I and this my my grandmother was actually born in New Zealand and yeah. then she went back to Britain so there's this kind of like family oh, yeah, yeah. tie that we have to New Zealand and yeah. got, like distant cousins and things D and does thought, that mean you could get residency based off your grandmother's no. citizenship no Okay. No, because I don't think she ever was a citizen. She oh, kept right. She yes. Got, she born here, but then she yeah. flew back. And, like, but I, got, I, came, I came when New Zealand was desperate for skilled migrants. You there know, the, when they were just letting anyone in. So you came well, as a like skilled migrant? And, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> Did thing. they? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, my dad was Liverpool. Yeah. yeah. Scouse, 15, went to sea. Wow. Yeah. Uh, met mum. Been through the Panama Canal a few times, you know, and then... Yeah. He was arrested actually, he was an overstayer, he was arrested actually, I know his flat, where he was, he got, well no, he wasn't arrested, he went to Mount Eden prison, but this was what would happen with, um, overstayers, the, yeah, right. they'd just like, they'd meet a woman, stay a few more days, mm. and then when they wanted to get the next ship back, and it would have been before containerisation, um, they'd just like go to the police station and go, oh, I'm overstaying, and like, alright, you know, off to jail, for, and we'll keep you till the next ship goes. Um, and like a so no, no, because he wanted to. Yeah, so yeah, well, of it. yeah, Really, so he yeah. could stay for longer. What's that? So we could stay for longer. Uh, well, he would have missed the ship. Yeah. I don't ask too many questions. Mm -hmm. um, but once you kind of need to get back on with the Blue Star Line or whoever it was, you, you would probably you'd hand yourself in. You know, you'd be up for a few nights in Mount Eden, and then you'd get put on the next ship. Funny. But it was this massive, and this is like you know, like growing up in Tatakaka Street. Yeah. You know, this was the working class diaspora, the, you know, Pacific Island people, Māori from, you know, all parts of New Zealand uh, coming and being housed and having jobs on the railways. And mm. so, um, you know, uh, working class palms were a big mm. part of that yeah. Uh, yeah. equation. Yeah. Yeah, the experience that they would have had. Mm. Well, yeah. well, just labour, right? You mm. know? I, I just know. a body. Yep, yeah. Yep. The you know cheap, cheap yeah. labour and fascinating. Yeah. So, so you're very much from here. Yeah. And stuff.
But would you call New Zealand home now? Absolutely. Yeah, mm. okay. I'm a citizen now as well. So yes, good. well done. But um, every, it was interesting because I, I thought I was coming for two years. In, mm, back in 20, 2004, so I had a two-year job. Yeah. It was kind of like London was too congested and I don't know. I was like, well, yeah. I don't own anything. All I'm doing is leaving mm. behind a job and friends, but I'll come back. Kind of. So I thought it was going to be and after six months of being here. I was like, oh, I think I might apply for residency. And then after four years of being here, I met my now husband. That'll do it. And, um, but every time, not every time, I probably went back to the UK every three years, every mm -hmm. two and a half, three years. Mm -hmm. Every time I went back, I just realized how much Wellington felt like home. Nice. And just also what was happening to Britain, you know, over the last couple of decades. And I was like, I'm actually really grateful to live somewhere where we're all <laughs> Community spirit. Yes. There we go. And we can, I don't know, it's, it's a more harmonious. I know it's not like this everywhere in Wellington, it's like this weird mm. anomaly. But we're a country that is allowed to speak freely and live together and be inclusive in the way that mm. we live together. Mm. Yeah. That's a good summary. Mm. I just feel so grateful and bringing up children here it's like I feel so grateful That's I get thing. to bring my kids up here in a very safe having said that we're actually moving next year just for a year I've just for a year and this really yeah. is just for a year going yeah. back to Europe somewhere France mm -hmm. yeah well. for an adventure thrill seeking adventure no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, I, yeah. I love I love boring forms so I think I'm okay <laughs> um, yeah my mum's she's in a care home in the UK and I've just been back to sure. visit her and she's not doing so great Mm. Um, you want to be closer. I want to be bit. closer. The last three and a half years has been, it's just been hard. Physically, like oh, yeah. it's always been nice because you always know there's the opportunity to can, yeah. like move places, but during COVID, mm. everything was like far up. We really are stuck yeah. for this long. And my so, husband speaks fluent French. He's got an Estonian passport, so we can be EU citizens because wow. we can't be EU citizens under me anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. Mm. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my dad was, oh, I think I was 13 before my dad went back to the UK the first time. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the world is so different, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, it was different before that as well. But, you know, I, my parents were telling me they had to save to make a toll call back to the UK. Mm -hmm. You know, save money deal, right? to call yeah. once for dad a year, to call his parents. Like yeah. And... And yeah, well, I was 13 before he went back for the first time. His parents did come and visit. But, you know, the world has got smaller and maybe mm. that's changing again. Maybe mm. it's not going to be so easy to travel, but no, it's a right. long, long yeah. way away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I think we're always kind of, you know, that idea of New Zealand being a little, a little bit like Little Britain, you know. Mm. It's like full of kind of these weird anachronistic Englishnesses and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Christchurch. Christchurch. <laughs> <laughs> and, the thing and, example. You know, you know, I love that. Um, it's just the down to earthness of Kiwis. Yeah. Yeah. It's Everyone's just allowed to be themselves. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. And there's not any of this kind of classism rubbish um, of layers of hierarchy in society. Yeah. Um, and the fact that people, I don't know, I, I love the fact that people do work to live. Mm -hmm. Here yeah. and things like oh, work-life balance. Let's go for a bike ride after work. <coughs> yeah, evident. Yeah. After, yes. Yeah. yeah. 
Sorry, I'd cut you off. Mid no, no, thought. I mid just, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, my dad, you know, talking about why he left Liverpool. Mm. And, you know, that was, the ship yards were closing, there was, there was a massive economic um, push, yeah. you know, for people to leave. And, and I think that movie, uh, Belfast, deals with that to some extent, oh, while yeah. it was also about the troubles, but, you know, mm. um, people, you know, uh, that idea of having a, a place to stand, you know, the Turanga Waiwai and why people leave that mm. yeah. is really interesting mm. and, you know, notwithstanding the complexities in New Zealand Aotearoa mm. around, you know, the land mm. and whose place is it to stand, um, you know, people, it's a hard decision to leave places. You know. If you think of a place as being your heart, mm. Mm. it doesn't matter what earth you're standing on, but mm. it's where your heart kind of feels like it can beat mm. a bit faster. Mm. I think. I, I often had that dilemma of belonging to two places, mm. but then kind of came up with this, how beautiful it is that the heart belongs to two places, yep. Yep. rather than kind of grieving for one mm. and not the other, because yep. you've, you've just between. been back to, for a mm. big trip, haven't you? Yeah. yeah, but I'm kind of, I love Wales, I'll always be Welsh, there's a lot of deep history about being Welsh and what that means, there's a lot of tribalism mm. if you want to call it that around it and it's become a lot more evident back in wales because of the adi Cymru movement which is the the yes wales movement which is the independence wales movement mm. which is picking up a pace yeah you won't realize it if you're not in wales uh, but it's very much i think in the next five years we're going to have a, a clear shot at becoming independent just right. like mm. scotland mm. Uh, because the the tide is turning, you know, yeah. a third of people now speak Welsh in Wales and really? there's massive explosion or at least understand it. Yes. And twenty percent yeah. over twenty percent can fluently speak it. It's like yeah. massive turning. And people don't realise this. I saw on Duolingo the other day that Welsh is one of the fastest growing yeah. learning languages. I know. Mm. It's crazy. But um going back I always feel like, okay, this is where I was born and brought up, but I'm not very spiritual in a sense of um I have no design. There was not, no design to that. It was an accident I was born there. It was, mm. it was a fun accident to think about it. But the allegiance I feel is just through experience. Mm. And the more I travel, the more I see similarities in places and people. Mm. And I like the idea of, you know, we're all part of one family, mm. one tribe, one nation. Mm. And it's all made up all the, the boundaries that we put down anyway, mm. based on historical reasonings and power grabs and stuff like that. So I prefer to lean into the idea that, you know, just become, um, I don't know, a, a citizen of the world. Yep. So we say versus citizen yeah. of the planet. Now I can't separate my Welshness from me because of my accent and everything mm. else comes out. It's still feel that mm. emotional pull. But like you, I kind of, my heart is not in one place. It's a bit more elevated than mm. that. Mm. I'm not saying people are wrong to think differently in mm. nationalism and other things. But for me, yeah, I'm Welsh, but that's not the first thing. I'm, human first and mm. let's mm. build it from that going forward I like that. Mm -hmm. yeah conscious of your time so let's wrap up with a well i'm not going to wrap up with, is there anything that we haven't discussed that you wanted cold hard to go there was that question um i, I liked uh dk how you sort of uh at the beginning we were talking about um sayings mm. and the saying that i do often come um Come, that comes to mind for me is I'm a, I'm a big Bob Dylan fan. I okay. love 
because our singing voices are probably similar. Um, <laughs> but I just love his um, way with words. But he's got one song, um, <clears throat> a line in a hard rain's gonna fall. I will know my song well before I start singing, you know? Mm. And I just love that. I'm thinking about what you're saying about being Welsh. Um, I'm sitting here thinking about being Pākehā in New Zealand in a post-colonial context and a dad that's come from England. I'm thinking about the young people that I work with and, you know, them learning what their song is. Yeah. You know, it's it's a hard, I was going to say it's a hard road. That's, I don't want to overquote Bob Dylan, a hard <laughs> rain. Um, it's a difficult road to figure out what your song is, yeah. you know, and sometimes that's like within the context of, you know, uh, difficulties with men, mental health, or sometimes that's in the context of the work that you do mm. um, in helping people actualize their potential. Uh, uh, these creative conversations that you facilitate, DK, you know, all enhance if we can help people know their song well, not necessarily before they start singing. I'm all into like sing as badly as you want, yeah, you know. That's Hell the yeah. only way to get better. Yeah. But to know your song well, mm. you know, and part of that to me is like, it's about where you come from, where you stand, knowing where you've where you've come from. It's uh, mm. so so important. And what you want to take with you. Yeah, and, and, and who you want to be in the world as well. Yeah. You know, um, an agent for change and good things. Yeah. And to um, bring as much positivity. I'm sound like a hippie now to the world, but you mm. know. They're the values, right? These yeah. must be the values. For sure. You yeah. know? And to... Love and kindness and all yeah. those things. And talking about being well, so I'll end with this from my perspective at least, is a beautiful, often quoted verse in Wales, which is to be born Welsh is to be born privileged, not with a silver spoon in your mouth, but with music in your heart and poetry in your soul. And that, I mean, going forward to think about identity mm -hmm. is not about having. Mm. It's about what you're imbuing and what you have mm. in you because of your lineage. It's kind of fun. Mm. Just makes me want to have a pint. Hold on. Identity has never been in such a big crisis mm. as it is in us, but has never before been in such a big opportunity for us to figure it with what that and mm. what you just said, the whole mm. quest for our humanity mm. in the way we, yeah, have our song or what our identities are, really are. Yeah. Mm. And appreciate each other's. Yeah, differences, right? The whole right? global citizen things. That, mm. Yeah. All these lines and geometry you put around stuff and political stuff that, yeah. It's kind of needed to function yeah. well. Yeah. But at the essence of it all, we're, mm. there's humanity at the mm. core. There we yeah. go. I'd agree. Mm. Thank you, good humans, for sitting around this table. That's me, Antonia. Antonia. Thank you. Thanks for Dion. facilitating. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That was Creative Welly, episode 38. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your attentions. Thanks also to John O'Tucker over at Empire Films. He's our video producer that makes it look so awesome. Check us out at creativewelly.com to see the video offering of this audio version of the podcast. Also, thanks to David at Flashdog Studios for utilizing the space. Keep having courageous conversations with bold humans, and we'll be back very, very soon.